Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Welcome Sam Norris to the Focus on Why podcast. Thanks very much for having me, Amy. I'm very, very pleased to be here. Oh, it's so excited to be able to return the favour because you very kindly have me on your podcast, The Game of Loans, which yes. is awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Very kind. Yeah, I love that podcast. I love the the way that you present and the way that you just really make your guests feel so welcome. And it's just like a great chat show that you just feel it's like a radio station that you just feel like you're listening to. It's brilliant. I feel bad having like asking people to come onto my podcast because I feel like I get a lot more out of it than they do because I just enjoy it so much. I love chatting to people. So for me, it's just an extension of my everyday life. Just we record it and let, you know, thousands of people listen to it. Well, and why not? Absolutely. (laughs) So tell me what it is you're currently doing now, Sam. So very exciting. Um, we recently, um, I, I'm a mortgage broker for some people that don't know. Um, and we and my business partner, me and my business partner have just opened the doors on our very own brokerage, Grand Union Finance. Um, we, this has been sort of five years in the making. So um, we, we met five years ago. Um, I knew he was going to be a really good friend of mine because the first thing he said to me was really, really horrible. Uh, it just took the mickey out of my horrible hair and I was like yes you're going to be my friend for a long long time and so it's just really exciting that we uh, we finally get to put into practice five years worth of planning basically so yeah really really excited about that and uh, finally starting to let people know about it which is even more exciting really. So that I feel like there's going to be a certain number of people that A, might have switched off because they heard that you're a mortgage broker and they're like, oh, I don't want to listen to this. And then B, they need they now know that they need to, to say something about your hair to be your friend. So Sam, your hair looks terrible. I want to be your friend for life. Absolutely. <laughs> I do, you know, this I haven't been able to go to a barber for quite some time. Um, I'm, I'm so. kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so tell me why Grand Union Finance? Where did that name come from? Um, well, I... Uh, I met a girl. <laughs> so every good start story I find starts with I was in the pub or I met a girl. So I met a girl um, and she was from the West Midlands. She was from a place called Bromsgrove, which is kind of halfway between Worcester and uh, Birmingham. And I'm a North London boy, as you can, might, might be able to just about hear in my, in my voice. And um, yeah, we, made, we originally made the decision that we would... Um, we would live in London and she came down, she lived with me. Um, a few, fast forward a few years, uh, she made the awful decision to get married to me. And um, we, you know, we were living a happy life, but we did realise that we were pretty much spending half our time in London and half our time in the West Midlands. And um, it's, it's a lot cheaper and actually a little bit less chaotic to live in the West Midlands. So we decided to make the switch. Now, where we live right now is uh, we live on the Grand Union Canal. And it is not, so for me, it's not just um, an imagery in terms of connecting me to my, to where I grew up, where I live. Um, It connects me to my business partner, who's still down in London. Um, And we like to think that he and I make a bit of a grand union when we're together. Um, So that's kind of where it, where it came from. And um, yeah, we we went through a lot of names to come up with that. And uh, yeah, we're really pleased with it actually, because it makes a lot of sense to us. That's brilliant. And I love the, the story behind the name there. So yeah. how long have you been a broker? So I was, I got qualified 13 years ago, um, back in, what would that be, 2007, which was a pretty awful time to get uh, qualified as a broker. Um, so bearing in mind the time uh, timing of that. Um, so I literally kind of completely by accident got offered a an, uh, an interview going to work at a company called Alexander Hall, which is the brokerage associated to Foxton's, the estate agents in London. And it was quite funny, actually, because I went all the way down to Chiswick, which is where the, uh, the head office is, thinking that I was going for a stock trainee stockbroker job. 
<laughs> so uh, a little bit little uh, um, bit of advice for everyone out there uh, figure out what you're going for before you actually get there then I also realized it was a group interview made it even worse for me so it was me and 11 other people all of which seemed to be managers and senior managers and all this kind of stuff that were looking for like career changes I was pretty much straight out of uni and didn't know my certain part of my body from my elbow <laughs> and I was the only person to get the job out of all of them and I'm still not 100% certain why um but yeah I got got the job as a trainee and the idea was I worked at Foxton's in their head office whilst I did my qualifications and then I would be shipped over to the broker side and start helping clients uh, which is what we all wanted to do um fantastic property education at Foxton's they have a they get a bit of a bad rep but the education that they give to their staff is second to none um definitely can't um fault them there but, uh, but it slowly became very, very obvious that people weren't being shifted across even when they reached their, their full qualification because of what was going on in the market. There just wasn't the room for more brokers because there wasn't enough leads coming in because of the market conditions. So um, I made the, some might say, ballsy kind of move to just quit my job um, so that I could spend a couple of months finishing off my qualification and basically making that my full-time job. Once I did that, I went into an estate agent in, in Barnet in North London where I grew up and just said hi do you need a mortgage broker <laughs> they said we don't but we have an IFA in our basement do you want to go and speak to them so I walked downstairs asked them what they did they said we do mortgages pensions and investments I said which one of those two do you want to do more of they said pensions and investments I said great give me that desk over there I'll give you 50% of anything I earn and I'll do all your mortgages for you and I started work about two days later and I did that for a few years so I literally yeah like you said very ballsy and just went for it. And I wouldn't say I failed miserably by any stretch of the imagination, but it was a really, really hard few years. Um, you know, no basic salary, um, not knowing where the next next penny's coming from, um, having certain times going door to door, knocking on people's doors, giving them leaflets. I'm your new local mortgage broker if you need any help, you know, bring me. Um, and it was actually doing that that got me my first ever client. And um, and I sort of sort of went from there really. And uh, it's been a it's been a rocky roller coaster of a ride ever since. <laughs> I would love to have been a fly on the wall in that group interview, I tell you. Oh, my goodness. To, to suddenly sort of probably have that flush of where you realised it wasn't the job that you were going for <laughs> and realising yeah. that, oh, my gosh, what am I doing in this room? That would have been brilliant. Well, but, I know. said, yeah, I said, because I, I said I didn't know why I got it. There is this part of me that is thinking maybe I do. Um, I sat there and I was really honest. I came completely clean with them. And I think actually they were more annoyed that probably the recruitment consultant didn't brief me well enough as to what I was coming for. But I, and I, but I turned around to them and I said, well, look, we've got a half an hour or whatever. Just could you tell me in 10 minutes what the job entails? And I can tell you straight away whether it's worth me continuing with the interview or not. Um, and they said, yeah, okay, cool. So they told me, I said, great. And I had about three or four questions for them about it. And I said, okay, cool. I said, I think I could do this job and I think I'd be really good at it. And I think I'd really enjoyed it. So I said, over to you. Now it's your turn to decide whether you want me or not. And for 15 minutes, they asked me a few other questions. I was really open and honest. I had absolutely no experience. I'd never managed a team. I'd never worked face-to-face -face with clients before. None of this. But I said, look, I feel as though I'm an intelligent guy. I'm really, really hardworking. If you want to give me a shot, give me a shot. If you don't, I'll understand. And they gave me a shot. And they didn't give any, any of the other 11 that were there a shot. So maybe something I did resonated with them. Well, I think honesty always trumps everything, doesn't it? Yeah. So going back, what had you done at university beforehand? So, well, I always say um, nothing to do with broking. I did a history degree. Um, but I think when you think about your what you do and what you study at university, I mean, my, my wife didn't go to university. And what is great that we have the perspective of both. So as and when maybe we, we start a family, you know, we've got two different stories to tell our kids one day and they can make a decision because she's incredibly successful and didn't need it for me I went off and got a lot of life skills um, and I studied history as I said but um, very academic subject um, teaches you a lot of life skills really important life skills and a lot of which I now use in my day-to-day -day role as a broker you know being able to analyze things um, you know I have to read through offers and and things like that every single day being able to get the information out of those those bits of text really quickly um, and and also just the, the being able to research properly um, and and think clearly 
those things I really pulled out of that degree, you know, a lot of people have said to me since, you know, God, you know, history, wasn't that just a complete waste of time? Not at all. Um, I, I really, really learned how to collect my thoughts um, and, and be a bit analytical and be able to research properly, which are all really, really important skills that you need as a, as a broker um, or an advisor, really, in financial services completely, whether it's pensions, investments, property finance or anything else. I guess also you're, you, you seem to be a real people person and a lot of what you're doing is helping people shape their future and, and li- listen to what they want in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. There's, um, I mean, there's, that, there's the old uh, phrase, isn't it? The two ears, one mouth. Um, and, and when you're an advisor, that's really, really important. You have to use those two ears incredibly effectively to get as much information as you can from your client to really understand what they're doing you know for me I I started out doing mortgages where I was helping first-time buyers a lot of the time and people that were moving home and that sort of stuff and I've branched out since especially over the last sort of five to six years especially helping investors and developers now when you're helping those types of clients you really have to understand what their long-term objectives are and make relatively quick shifts in in what you're talking to them about to make sure that what you're telling them is is really um, you know, important to them and their journey. And that's where the, the one mouth comes into it. You know, I do like chatting and talking to people, but I have to make sure that I'm being very succinct in what I'm telling them so that actually the information is really, really important. And those, again, they're, they're really good skills that you learn in, in, in many academic degrees where reading is an important part of that. So it's not just the listening element, but in terms of reading, that kind of covers the listening element. And then the writing is the speaking element where you're taking all of that information and then coming up with a solution for that. And the solution from a historical, you know, essay point of view is your kind of thoughts and opinions on all the stuff that you've read about a particular problem. And so you consider yourself a bit of an academic? Um, yeah, I, well, I definitely did. Um, as I was telling you off air, I went back and um, for my sins, I, I did a master's and that really just came about because the market was poor. Um, as I said to you before, I'd just done a property development with my dad, who's a builder. Um, so we made a bit of money. So in terms of basically my year was kind of sorted income wise. Um, I didn't I didn't need to go back and earn any more money. So I actually um, stopped working for this IFA um, and went back and did a, a master's full time. And that I think that was the point when I thought to myself, Mm, Sam, you, you're never you're never going to be a true academic because I went from you know the seminar classrooms at, at university when I did my undergraduate, considering myself to probably be one of the more vocal in the room, one of the more confident, you know, maybe dare I say it, kind of more top of my class. Um, when I did my history degree, by the way, I was really really annoyed because they give a special prize out every year in the history department at the University of Essex where I went for the top dis- uh, dissertation, um, and the average. I think the average score to win that award is 81 out of 100, which is incredibly high. And there was a girl there called Steph, um, who I'm not in contact with anymore, unfortunately, but she and I were kind of like um, study buddies. Um, and whilst we were doing our dissertation, we, we chat a lot. And uh, I got my dissertation back and I got 83. And I thought, oh my God, I'm going to win that blooming award. Um, Steph got 84. Highest ever recorded score for, for, for that. So, um, yeah, I didn't win that particular award, which was annoying. But, yeah, so I went from that sort of position into the world of the Masters, and suddenly it was like everyone was speaking a different language. And I went to King's as well, which some might consider to maybe be a, a better institution than, than Essex University. So, you know, Essex was amazing, by the way, such an incredible university, great, great culture there. Um, but, yeah, for me... Uh, I suddenly went from a room where I maybe sounded a bit more like the cleverer one to the one where I was like, you know, shut up, Sam, you're just going to make a fool of yourself. So, yeah, I kind of, I think I lost my academia sense there, <laughs> unfortunately. So how did you fill your time otherwise? So, um, yeah, I've got, I, I think I've got quite a few little pastimes I enjoy. I'm a massive rugby nut. Um, so anytime I can go and watch my my team Saracens play with my dad that's like my favorite thing to do in the world a couple of pints watch the boys hopefully win um enjoy my time with my dad it is is like the the ideal Saturday afternoon for me but um but yeah apart from that um back back in the in the university days we were talking about this uh, in terms of filling my time I definitely felt like I didn't do enough outside of the academic 
side. And I also played for the rugby team when I was at university as well. So it's literally played rugby, did classes, drank beer. That was the three things I did when I did my undergraduate. So I wanted to branch out a little bit when I went back and did my master's. So I joined the um, university radio station. And this is where I think I got my love for audio and presenting and things like that because I had a, had a show and it was called Blabbermouth, which nobody could understand why I used that um, that name because I'm so, you know, quiet and retiring. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, it was basically a, a sort of a comedy chat show, really. Um, I loved being in that studio. I had two different producers over the course of the time that I was there that kind of helped me out and, and sort of sat in the background and we just, we just, you know, whatever was in the newspaper that day, we'd pick it up and we'd talk about it and try and be as funny as we possibly could. We also had various little skits that we did, um, and I did a few impressions. <laughs> we had Shano, the Australian, that would come in every now and again, um, and basically the whole point of that was that uh, we would say, hi, Shano, how have you been? He tells you he's fine. And then before we had, we had a chance to ask him any questions, he'd ask if he could do a shout-out to all of his friends. Um, and then we spent, I think we timed it, it was four and a half minutes doing a shout out for all of his mates. So it's like Mike O, Ben O, John O, you know, and he just, everything we had O after it. And they were like, okay, well, time's up. Thanks very much for coming on the show, Shane O. And yeah, that, that would be it. Um, and we also did a thing called The Blagger, which was a, effectively, we were told that if you, if you tell different um, places, museums and attractions, things like that, that you're from the university radio station, they will let you get come in for free. So we just tried to get into as many things as we could for free. And we did some cool stuff. We got a one to, well, I say one to one in terms of me and my producer and then somebody else, a one to one tour around the London Aquarium, <laughs> which was amazing. Um, we got a one to one tour around um, some of the ex like private exhibits at the British Museum, which was also really, really cool. And my favourite one was that the head brewer at the Fuller's Brewery in Chiswick gave us a one-to-one -one tour around the brewery and then spent three hours with us in the basement where there is a secret bar just getting us to try all of these beers that hadn't weren't even available to the public yet. Um, and we had a seminar after that, so we had to be very quiet and sit at the back. But um, yeah, we did some really awesome stuff. But yeah, it did sort of grew my love for podcasting which is obviously now what I'm I'm doing as well in my spare time which I'm which I actually love and of course I, I mentioned to you off there that we, we, we managed to win a national student radio award as well which was very very special not that I have not that I know where it is <laughs> anymore but it's uh, it's lodged in in my mind and I think I remember most of the night so are you going to sort of leverage your Game of Loans podcast host title to get some more blagging ah good question probably well not I don't have any plans to do so but certainly you've, you've just thrown a seed in there that might might maybe uh yeah uh, sort of grow I think one thing I've definitely would, would love to do is is use both my new title as a director of a company which is which is quite important I think and um and the podcast now the other stuff that I do sort of marketing wise to to grow the marketing side of the business I'm, I'm a massive fan of sort of indirect marketing so not just selling to people constantly, which you just get all the time and it's really boring. Um, I love to, um, I call it education. You know, you're entertaining, but you're educating people. Um, and I'd love to be able to use that to meet more and more exciting people um, and maybe visit more and more exciting um, or interesting places like going to visit lenders and doing sort of a video tour and interviewing various people and doing stuff like that in the future you know as and when maybe I build out a team with Grand Union that can look after some of the day-to-day -day stuff so freeze my time up to look into that in a bit more detail but certainly something that we you know me and my business partner have discussed a lot is being able to do this a little bit more because yes it's, it's going to be great for people and hopefully it'll be really interesting for people to watch and see and listen to but you know, there is also that little bit at the bottom, which is, this is what we do for a living. We're brokers. And so we're showing you our knowledge, our connections. Maybe we're the broker for you. But um, somebody said to me the other day, they said, I actually trawled through a lot of your stuff and I can't find one thing that you come online with that said, I should be your broker or um, come and use me or special offer or anything. I never do that. And I do it on purpose because it's pointless. I don't want to force anyone to use me that doesn't want to. So where does a passion come for for the broke being a broker? Um, I think with my dad being a builder, property was always going to be in my blood in some way, shape or form. As I said, we've done developments in the past ourselves as well. 
decided that our relationship was probably better suited to in the pub and by the by the side of the rugby field um, than trying to do building work together. Um, but yeah, there's always going to be that way. I think I did stumble in it, into it completely by accident, as I mentioned. But that first job that I had um, with Foxton's at the time, I hated it because I was actually, uh, believe it or not, I was so I was in a as a room of probably 500 people. Um, and it, we were, it was just, it was just a massive sales team and you were tasked with calling or making at least 250 calls a day to try and drum up business for Foxton's. Now I was sworn at more times than I care to, to imagine during that time, but I also learned a lot about the property market, a lot about how you can make money in property. And I spoke to loads and loads and loads of really interesting and really cool people. And I did come out of that thinking it's that interaction with the, you know, the human side of it. That's, that's what I absolutely loved. And it's still what I love to this day. I think I could probably get into anything in a sort of a sales capacity that involved, you know, um, not just B2B, but B2C as well, kind of that interaction. And it's that, it's that what I like. It's just the fact that I think I've learned enough about brokering and lending and how that all works to be able to, you know, service those clients and be able to have good conversations with them. But it's, it is that interaction. And my wife is constantly telling me off because she says, you spend too much time on your phone calls to clients, you know, hour and a quarter, you know, just chatting about all sorts of stuff. But, you know, I spent an hour and a quarter the other day on the phone to a client, never done any business before, never spoken to them before. Uh, I spoke, was talking to them all about the new business, talking to them all about, you know, what my plans were, how passionate I was to try and create this incredible service, the likes of which our industry has never seen before. And she she told me, she was open, she goes, I'm basically interviewing you, Sam. I'm speaking to about four or five different brokers to see which one I want. And about an hour later, a notification popped up on my Instagram that she had um, tagged me in her story to say that she cancelled her other meetings, her other chats, because I, we just had such a great chat and that she just wanted to work with me. And although that she hadn't even done any business with me yet, she'd already recommend having a chat with me because I was able to, to share my knowledge. And I think just my passion for what I do and, and wanting to help her, obviously, well, I'd like to think shone through and, and it resonated with her somewhere. So, I mean, that for me was like one of my crowning achievements. I can't believe that someone tagged me in a story on Instagram because of talking about mortgage brokering. That, that doesn't happen. So yeah, I felt pretty awesome about that. I'm not going to lie. And was that one of those moments where you turn around to your wife and said, no, 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 no. I don't think she was around, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I did do, I did do one of those um, like mini fist pumps, like you do to yourself. Like, yes, you know, that's, that's what I did. I and think. the reason I referenced that is because when I was on your podcast before, you say you're very rarely right. So to have a moment where you're right is, is a good moment, is a fist pump moment. Yeah. And I'm okay with being wrong when it comes to Emily, because she <laughs> is, you know, I just, she is, you know, we'll come on to this. I'm sure she is 100% my why. Um, and I have all the respect and, and love for her in the world. And it kind of, it's weird because I think when you have that admiration and that, that genuine care for someone else, you don't actually really care about being wrong. You know, you're quite happy for them to be right. Even when you think they might be wrong, I'm happy for her to be right. So, yeah, I don't, I don't tend to make too much of a big deal out of it, to be honest with you, even when you know, it's quite clear. That I'm right sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a bit more about her. Uh, she's she's awesome. Um, she's a massive, massive personality, which some some people might think that sort of we we would then clash, but actually we don't really. We kind of just play off each other. Um, I think we're sort of known as the couple that if you want if you want you know to have some people round for a quiet evening in, it's we're probably not the people for you. But yeah, we we completely bounce off each other and. Yeah, I just got I've just got so much respect for how what she does, how she does it, and the fact that you know I thought the only way to get by in life was to go through the education system, uh, do do a degree, get a job, earn money, eventually set up your own business, or you know they, they're basically what I've done. But how she's gone about doing what she she did, you know, she realised very early doors when she was sort of starting to do A levels and stuff that she just wasn't for her. She went out and you know she did this really awesome thing that she became. She did an apprenticeship at. I'm going to get this wrong. It's either Tui or Thomas Cook, and I can't remember which one it was. Um, she's probably going to go nuts at me after this if she listens. Um, a travel company. It was a travel company. Other travel companies are available. Um, and she was like 17 or something. And she, I think by the time she was 19, she was the youngest office manager um, or branch manager in the whole company, uh, in the whole country, whole company. 
and she was like consistently in terms of her sales figures was like in the top five and I was just like that is just insane and it just shows you don't need a university education to do that she did that off her own back she worked her ass off uh part of my french and yeah she's just she's just phenomenal and um yeah now she's 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 just as just as great she now she now edits a um a construction magazine which is completely different but she loves that and she's amazing at that as well and she's one of those people as well that when you come into contact with her you can't like dislike her you just she's very sort of um attractive in i mean in terms of physically yes definitely attractive but in terms of her personality, very, very attractive person. And everyone seems to sort of want to be around her and stuff, which is obviously why I'm still here after five years. <laughs> so you, you said she was your why. How does that work for you doing what you're doing? How does that fit in? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I don't think either of us come from bad backgrounds in terms of, you know, both relatively kind of middle class-ish backgrounds. Um, when I look back a little bit further, certainly my my sort of grandparents and great grandparents were definitely working class East London um, sort of Jewish ghetto kind of um, family. But uh, but both of us really in the last uh, yeah in terms of our parents come from sort of mid- middle class backgrounds. But so I kind of just I've seen you know her dad has always really looked after her um, and you know in terms of very that he he was like the male figure in her life that just. You know, it was very, very, I'm trying to think of the word, protective. And, you know, she, she, just, she just has such admiration for him because he looked after her, you know. And her mum, I mean, I, I, love, I love my mother-in-law's pieces, which is very, very rare, apparently. Um, but I'm very, very lucky. But um, I kind of want to almost sort of emulate that uh, and fill that role and just really look after her. Um, she's worked incredibly hard throughout her life. But I also know that her, probably her greatest ambition is to just be the best mom in the world and although we don't have any kids yet you know it's, it's, it's what we plan to do and I just want to facilitate that for her you know I want to be able to do what my parents have done for me and what her parents have done for her in terms of look after my family be the breadwinner um, and that's not you know being old-fashioned or too traditional or anti-feminist or any of these other things it's you know we know that that's kind of the relationship that we want and I want to facilitate that for her and um you know and, and my success is really driven by that um that's that's the aim is that we want to be financially free for want of a better phrase and I want to be able to spend as much time as I possibly can you know with my family and with Emily and I don't want her to ever ever worry for anything I don't want our kids to ever worry for anything I just want them to to have a really safe um secure life with me around and that's what really drives me and and why is it as important for you to to create all of that um i think it's uh, it's this it's a good question um and i'm sure i could probably think of loads of like cliched things to say um but the reality is i just i just absolutely adore her and i just i just really want her to be able to be completely free to do whatever whatever she wants to do um i know that i've found in business um in running a business and you know being successful and creating sort of um a wealth related success that i have found a calling in my own life that i enjoy and i aspire and i you know i'm driven towards but the backing of, of all of that is that i know that emily doesn't have that same kind of calling her calling is, is as i said to just be the best mom in the world and i just want to facilitate that for her i want her to you know be able to not have to work to to look after the kids full time um to be able to, to choose if she if there's something that really is you know really gets gets her, her juices going you know not to have to worry about oh is this a job that's going to pay me enough to pay the bills or whatever it's something that she could just get her teeth into and and, and, and be passionate about and you know for her to spend time with with her mum both her parents are retired you know and for her to to spend time with with her friends and and just you know just lead lead the life that um I know that she would just she would just love and you know I know her well enough to know that that is as much as she's been fantastic in work she's very good at jobs she's good at jobs um, and not everyone is but I know that her aspirations aren't in that field they are in more the personal side of things and yeah I just want to be able to 
to give give us both, I suppose, the life that we that we really want together, rather than me just being in a dingy office all day long and her, you know, sitting at home with a, with a, a child or, or whatever, not not seeing me. So it's a little bit of both, I suppose. And do you see this sort of vision that you have as being common with your peers? No, um, I don't. I certainly think that, um, and this goes back to that whole, whole thing that people say, oh, you know, you're a, um, you're the average of sort of the five five people that you hang around with. Um, the vast majority of my life, in terms of my friends um, and even my family, to to an extent, certainly wouldn't fall into the similar sort of category in terms of the aspirations I personally have on on a on a business side and on the kind of the personal side of things as well. But I think because I have a genuine belief that I I've come across something that I think could cause me to be successful in a financial way that it facilitates opening my mind to the idea that actually this idyllic family dynamic that we could create is something that's possible. Um, Whereas maybe some people don't open their mind to the fact that those kinds of things are possible. And that's why they don't, they don't pursue it because it's just not on the agenda both my parents are self-employed so I think I always understood that if you know maybe if I took my my own life in my hands if you like and 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 did things for myself that I would have that greater control um you know doing just silly little things in my life like the first time I read Rich Dad Poor Dad I just suddenly had this realization hang on a second I'm doing this entire life thing wrong um and if I actually started thinking about life in the way that Robert Kiyosaki mentioned um was you know educating people about that actually this idea of of wealth not not wealth for wealth's sake or success for success's sake but the facilitator of a of a better existence was absolutely within my grasp and actually, actually I think within anyone's grasp it suddenly meant that the idea of this home life that 99% of other people don't even dream of was was completely a reality and, you know, I read that book six years ago. So in reality, it's taken me six years. Um, and if I went back in time and had a chat with myself, I probably could have done it in, a far, in far less time than I have. But it's taken me six years to re- really realise that first stage of what that book was teaching. Um, and now, you know, the plan for stage two, if you like, although me and my business partner are still calling it stage one, is to is to build that business, build an asset base of... of um, income generating assets just like old Robbie Kiyosaki told us to do um so that so that again the 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 driver behind it all is is that that idyllic life the freedom and the time for family life so yeah I don't think I, I consider myself lucky that I've had the realization that I have that life can be different from what I would call the 99% of the population and can you remember how you found that book? No, I can't. I'm trying to think. Um, I think it, it, you know, it was probably just one of those. Um, it was. I, I remember reading it on my phone, so I downloaded it onto my phone to read, and I, and I read it as I was going into like commuting into London every day. And um, I actually read it during a quite difficult time in my life, and um, where I was, I guess, subconsciously searching for a different way. Up until that point, how old would I have been then? Twenty nine. Up those first twenty nine years had gone gone okay, but ultimately it led me to a point where I was nothing again. I was back living with my parents. Um, I had a really messy breakup with a long term fiance, as it was at the time. Um, lost my flat I was living in. Um, lost my car. Lost my little dog, which was really horrible. <laughs> um, and you know. Moved, moved out of brokering for a very short period of time, got like a job in something completely different that I loved, lost that job because um, I was really crap at it. <laughs> and um, just, you know, there was a kind of a big weight in my life at that time that everything that I was doing was just, a, it, it just wasn't working and I needed a new way. And I happened across this book and it just completely changed my life. You know, it just, I just suddenly thought, so hang on a sec, everything I've been doing for the last, well, let's not say 29 years, because I don't want to put too much pressure on sort of five-year-old Sam. Um, but certainly for the last 10, 11, I've not been wasting my time, but I've been moving, I've been just following society's way of doing things, you know. And um, 
And I actually thought, oh, hang on a second, I've been the poor dad. I've been moving towards poor dad's status this entire time. And I needed to realize that I needed to change to a rich dad, rich dad mentality. Otherwise, I was destined to be poor dad forever. And I wasn't going to be fulfilled. And I was going to continue this cycle probably of just not being happy. And, um, and I'd actually think as well, you know, at that time, I was completely unopened to the idea of ever being in another relationship again. It just was something that was so off the radar that, um, you know, in reading that book as well, open because of the positivity it gave me and the direction it gave me and the focus it gave me, I'm, I'm certain that it also, you know, it wasn't too long after that that I actually came into contact with Emily for the first time. And I was completely then just open to this idea of just being in a relationship again. And the whole thing kind of just came together. And the last sort of five years that she and I have been together, um, it's going to be our second year wedding anniversary in September. So not too long away. Um, you know, that period of time has been where things have really stepped up a gear and moved towards the position that I'm now in where, you know, I'm not happy in my family life, but also happy in my, um, you know, in my working life as well, which is great. It's incredible how a book can really change a life is it you're not the first person to reference this book either I, I speak to a lot of people and and whilst it's it's dated in some respects that some of the particular models don't necessarily work anymore the principle is the same which mm-hmm. is you know to build assets to then you know pay for your liabilities instead of paying for liabilities out of out of employment so it, it the concept works beautifully and and yet it, it's not mainstream yeah well it's funny actually I was having this conversation with Emily really recently where she said um because I I basically explained to her the plan of the fact that you know we had this incredible ambition we were going to build the best brokerage that has ever been um our clients were going to absolutely love us we've got all these I mean we we are literally day by day at the moment coming um trying to, to to put this plan and process in together that's just we're just so, so passionate about this. Our clients are just going to be blown away by the technology and what we're going to use to hopefully just make their lives just so much easier and make this whole, you know, mortgage and bridging and development finance rubbish just seem like an absolute breeze, hopefully. Um, but the larger term premise of this is very rich dad, poor dad. We are building a company. That company is going to buy assets. You know, that's that's where the true true wealth and the true freedom and um you know and then the ability that emily may not need to work or could work part-time or, or, or do whatever she what she wanted would come from and to do that and i'm a massive massive believer in this as a business owner you need to kind of just really really try and put try and go against your better judgment to just take all the money that comes in you know you can create a million pound business uh, and take you know if you're in a 50 50 relationship take 500 grand that's your salary but no, that's that's not conducive to a really long-term plan. So, you know, I've explained to her that we're going to be taking minimal income from this. Um, and she couldn't get her head around it. Um, and I was trying to explain this whole process of the money is not being taken out of this company because that company is going to go and buy stuff that's going to make even more money. And then you have that cycle that just grows and grows and grows and grows. And, you know, there are, there's, look, there's, there's certainly a stage two and three to our bigger plan. Um, that, uh, you know, maybe I'll be back on the podcast in 10 years time telling you about it. But, um, you know, in the short term, that's it. You know, that's what we're trying to do. And, um, yes, yeah, so I was trying to explain to Emily why I couldn't be, you know, drawing hundreds of thousands of pounds <laughs> from the company, um, even though she couldn't quite understand that concept. But um, I, and I doubt if I gave her a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that she'd actually read it, if I'm honest. But um, maybe I'll just get I'm sure you can get like a summary of it. Maybe I'll maybe I'll get that for her or something like that. But I think yeah. it's worth reading. Even my kids have read it. Well, it was under dura- uh, duress, I have to add there. We were driving down to France a couple of summers ago and it was put on the car audio and they were yes. asked to listen uh, to excerpts. Not the whole thing. that Just asked to remove their own That's headphones. That's a really good idea. It That's a really, awesome. really good idea. Oh, I'm I'm going to do that. I, I've already decided when I'm a dad one day. Um, there are there are books because I I'm I, I don't want to get on my soapbox about it because we probably don't have time. But um, I really really think that the education system in in our country is antiquated at, at best. Um, so I I understand that as a parent I will have a lot of um, responsibility to educate my children 
in the manner that I genuinely believe they should be. And that is on a financial level. So I've already had, I've already got this vision in my head, you know, 10, 15 years down the line where I'm, I'm, you know, I'm making my kids and saying, right, if you read this book, you know, I will, you'll get this, you know, or when they say, oh, you know, dad, I want want these new trainers or whatever's going to be cool in 15 years time or whatever. Um, yeah, what I want these, like, okay, well, you can have them. Really? Yeah. Well, you've got to read Rich Dad Poor Dad first. And I want you to write, a, I want, you're going to have to write down what you learned from it so that you can prove to me that you've read it. I know I'm going to be doing that. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely be giving them Rich Dad Poor Dad, Richest Man in Babylon, you know, all of these sorts of books. They're, they're going to, they're going to form the staple of their extra extracurricular activities, should we say? <laughs> well, you, you know, you're talking to the, the book queen here. You know, I know everyone walks away with a with a, a list of books when they have a conversation with me, and I, I don't force it on them. I just I just drop them into conversation casually and, and mm. just say, "Oh yeah, you know, this book might be of use for you." I seem to have a a book for every topic, but I I, yeah. I just love them, I'm, and I'm surrounded by books. I always have been ironically I was told as a 16 year old that I should be a librarian as my career choice (laughs) (laughs) do you know what I'm sure you would be a fantastic librarian but I am this is what I do this is what I'm doing curating stories it's just in a different format it's a modern format absolutely no I do you know I'm I am one thing I really hope um and here's a little secret about me that not everyone knows is I'm quite a big Doctor Who fan (laughs) And um, I've kind of lost a little bit of love for it recently, but I, I was certainly for for a big time. And um, there was an episode where re- far off in the future, David Tennant, when he was the doctor, they went and visited a planet called the library. And he said, you know, one thing that, that the human beings never stop doing is reading books. And I really, really hope that that is the case, because even now, you know, I get, I've got my audio books, I've got books on my phone and my iPad. but there's nothing better than, especially like if you're on holiday, sitting by a pool, getting an actual book out. And I mean, I can go and walk around Waterstones or wherever foils in central London for hours. I just love the like, actual books. Yeah. You know, there's nothing better than actually from, you know, from cover to cover getting through a book. And I really hope that that never, ever, ever changes. Oh, I'm so with you there. A, a physical book. So quite often what will happen is because of, timing I will listen to a book on audible and if it's a good one I have to go straight out and get it as a a physical book so that I can then sort of scribble through and make notes again because getting through books on on audible is quite you can well I used to travel used to drive in in the Mm. old days you know when we used to travel around the the country yeah the old the old days yeah (laughs) back in the day when we used to actually go out of our homes (laughs) (laughs) so yeah um, but it's interesting isn't it that that how much of an impact of one book can make and especially when you you're you're talking about the education system and yeah the education system serves a part but as a parent you also have a duty to to fill in other areas and I I don't think that the education system should supply everything I think yeah it's not possible it's not it's not a one-stop shop for everything and as a role as a parent absolutely financial literacy should be a part of that yeah I think the problem that we have unfortunately in this country is a lot of parents aren't financially literate themselves um, and that's where there's that disconnect, unfortunately. And um, I, I actually did a, <clears throat> and I can't remember if I mentioned this in our podcast episode that we did together, actually, was I was watching a program a few months back called Rich, kid, Rich Kids Get Skin. And good premise for, for a program. I, find, I actually find that Channel 5, um, they get a bad reputation, Channel 5, but actually they've got some really good little programs on Channel 5. And uh, me and Emily were watching it, and the premise of the show was, as we said, as I think mentioned before, was you know a rich youngster, in their, usually in their early 20s, goes and lives with a what would be considered a poor family for a weekend or longer than that to see how they how they live their lives. In this particular episode, the kid was um, certainly rich. You know, He had a 20 grand Rolex on his wrist and all this kind of stuff. And the family was a mum and dad and a, and a small kid. The mum didn't work. You know, she's a full-time parent. Dad had two jobs. And I think, and, and for me, what this showed was, the whole premise of the show was obviously to show the rich kid that the other side of the fence, you know, and, that, and there's certainly loads and loads and loads of lessons to be learned. But they really missed a trick because they were, this, there was an opportunity there to also 
turn the tables and teach the poorer family maybe how they could remanage themselves in a different way so that they could not be as poor as traditionally poor and i think it was there was something like for example i think it was like they had 40 no 25 pounds left over per month as a surplus after everything um and whilst this poor dad was going to do his saturday job second job which was delivering leaflets around the town he was walking around with a pint-sized uh, can of red bull i love red bull so i know that that can is probably about one pound sixty now most people just go one pound sixty who cares one pound sixty is a percentage of 25 pounds it's quite high and just there's you know, little tiny things like that that um and i guess this is why i get very very passionate about talking to my clients about their personal finances i do videos online about how to you know manage your your personal finances in a very robert kiyosaki style way thinking of them as, as financial statements and this program i think really is the trick to, ex to to really educate this poorer family that maybe going out and buying that can of red bull was not a good use of that money that the percentage you were using up was high you could go and get a tesco version of that and maybe a smaller can it's going to cost you 25p and that is a better use of that of that, that those funds and the difference could be chucked in a little savings pot which isn't going to make a lot of difference over two three months but it will over two three years and that's you know that's where that education level comes in so i'm a big 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 advocate of this both in education in young children on a financial level but also in in adults as well so that they actually can then take it upon themselves to re-educate their kids and they can pass on because i'm a great believer as well in passing on what you learn um and if, if we as society can actually educate adults better in how to deal with their personal finances the next generation their kids are going to benefit from that Oh, you're totally speaking my language, Sam. I, I'm I'm with you 100%. And and I, I'm sitting here sort of talking about how important financial literacy is. And I have to remind myself that it's only been literally in the last four or five years that I have switched my knowledge completely around and understanding that this is the way forward. So I've been guilty of being stuck in the antiquated system also and having that old model of paying off your mortgage throughout your whole life and then downsizing instead of you know building assets. And it's mm. it's totally been a game changer and it's definitely something that I would recommend people look into more of, of how to understand their their sort of their wealth and building of wealth. Do you know what it's 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 very much that um, who wants to be a millionaire phrase that they used to use, which Chris Tarrant, I think, he said, if you, it's, easy, it's only easy when you know the answer. For most people, you, know, you say, I, I was guilty of. Well, I would say you weren't guilty of it because you didn't know. And I didn't know. And lots of other people didn't know. You know, you, you get, you get the, the question on who wants to be a millionaire, £250,000. If you don't know the answer, it might be easy for everyone else. But if you don't know the answer, you can't get it right. And that's just what it is. It's just, I think there is a responsibility of all of us to share, you know, what, what we've learned to make the country as a whole more financially literate. Absolutely. And there are people out there who assume that everyone knows that this is the way that you should live, but they are in the minority. And also there are a lot of people who don't want to live in this way, that they don't want to be entrepreneurs. They don't want to sort of build assets and, and that's fine as well. So it's not for everyone, mm -hmm. but it's just knowing that there's a choice and that there are different options out there available. Completely. Wow. Well, I feel like we, we've gone full full circle and just covered so many different subjects. And I wanted to talk more about rugby, but didn't get the chance. I have to do that another time because I'm... The you can ask me a really quick question if you want. Okay. <laughs> I'm always happy for a rugby related question. Um, what position did you play at university? I was fly half. Of course I was. I was pulling the strings. I was telling everyone what to do, you know. But yeah. one, thing, one thing that I loved um, as a fly half, I was a massive Johnny Wilkinson fan. And um, he was very good defensively. And I always prided myself on if, uh, if there was a scrum to the opposition and their number eight would pick up the ball and think, is that little weedy number 10? I would just give it my all and absolutely hammer. That was my favourite thing to do. Absolute favourite thing to do. Oh, so, fantastic. So, um, yeah, love it. I've, I've don't, I don't play anymore, unfortunately, but um, I enjoy watching now very much and and one day one day this i can go happy to go live live and say this because i've said it before my one of my aspirations is actually to own saracens oh, so wow. it, it may never happen it may never happen and i'm quite i'm okay with that if there's a better man for the job that is but yeah one, one day if the opportunity arose and i did think that was the right man to do it then 
I would I would do it. That's okay, that's on the well, it's on the agenda. Allianz Park, watch out! Here you come. <laughs> well, it, won't, it won't be called Allianz Park, but maybe it'll be called Grand Union Park. <laughs> oh, nice one! I like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds really good. You should, you should approach think... them. Well, I thought you don't have like the five million pounds that they need right now. <laughs> that's not the that. attitude. That's not the <laughs> attitude. <laughs> yeah, find some investors. Absolutely. Well, my, my husband's a number 10 and my son's a number 10. So, you know, it, rugby is a big thing for me. So, well, yeah, fantastic. Oh, well, I'll see you at Twickenham when we're allowed to have big internationals again. And um, oh, can't wait. Yeah. I'm so annoyed that the, the, uh, at the time of recording, the football's just about to restart. Yeah. And I'm really disappointed that we still have to wait a little bit more time for the rugby to restart again. But I can't wait. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure whether we, will we have a Six Nations next year? Hopefully. <laughs> I hope so. We've got to, well, we've got to finish this one first, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> and problem. actually, it's the it's the Lions of twenty twenty one, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> so God knows what's going to happen there. Um, yeah. I, I, my, my gut is that I think it will be pushed back a year, but yeah. I hope we've got the got the Olympics next year as well. Now that's been pushed back, the European football European Championship it might just be too much all going on in one year in terms of world sports as a whole. The powers that meet might actually think we don't want to try and compete with all of that for, mm. you know, for, for uh, newspaper back pages. So it might be worth you know, pushing it back a year. Well, it's certainly an inter- interesting sort of concept of, of losing a year of sport for, for sure. Mm. It's been, uh, I'm a big sports fan, so I've, def- I've missed lots of, uh, lots of watching sport and especially yeah. local level as well as national and international as well. Mm. Um, well, yeah, let's, let's same. see how well people have been training in the background. They might all come out with sort of bionic fit. <laughs> I'm really hoping that, you know, when, when it all does sort of get start getting back up and running again, that we don't just get a spate of injuries because, yeah, people are just not used to that. You know, in, the mentally, they're all going to go. I mean, I've done it. You know, I've had maybe a few weeks off because of a niggling injury. Go back out there like I, I haven't been off at all. And then got another injury as a result of it so yeah hope, hopefully everyone's prepared I'm sure they are they're all professionals aren't they so absolutely um, but we'll see I'm just looking forward to any sport any sport I'm just looking forward to oh tiddlywinks I'll, t- I'll take it I'll take it <laughs> <laughs> uh, no offense made to those who are very keen players yeah. right so <laughs> Sam Norris it's been absolutely fantastic having you on the Focus on Why podcast and thank you for sharing your why how are people able to get in contact with you where should they reach out yeah I'm most active on Instagram to be honest with you so if anyone wants to follow me on there at the Sam Norris I'm sure there's other Sam Norris's out there but I'm the Sam Norris um I'm also on YouTube as well so if you ever want to check out any of my videos it's uh, Sam Norris the property investors broker Facebook Sam Norris property and yeah, if you drop me direct messages on those platforms, if you want to get in touch. And of course, don't forget to go and subscribe to my my podcast, the Game of Loans podcast as well, which is available on all good channels and platforms. It is indeed. And I'll make sure that all of those go those links go into the show notes. Do you have a final message for the audience today, Sam? Um, I think it's just, do you know what? Whatever you want to do, you can you can achieve it. Uh, there's nothing that's impossible if you put your mind to it. And edu- if you educate yourself and you surround yourself with the right people, the right supportive people, and network, then w- whatever it is that you want to achieve, you can do it. Because I am starting to realise that myself. Um, and uh, and trust me, if anyone had told me only a couple of years ago that a mortgage broker would have a YouTube channel with hundreds of followers and subscribers, I would have laughed in their face. So if I can do that, so can you. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrowlandson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.